0: Being in control of your money provides freedom. Learn how to make it, spend it, and invest it. We're Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM.
1: The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily reflect the views of Money Radio staff, management, or advertisers, and do not represent an offer to buy or sell any securities. Some interviews heard on this program may be sponsored by the participants.
2: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Stock Doctor's Prescription. I'm Lee Seiler, also known as the Stock Doctor. I have Justin Kenny in the house, Nikki Ward, our Megalennial, and you're listening to us live on Money Radio, KFNN 1510, 105.3 FM. Welcome to the show. We are glad to be here, and uh, we're going to get right to it because we have a very special guest coming in, uh, the second segment, Ron Insana from CNBC. I mean, this guy's got some accolades too, by the way. He's an Emmy nominated journalist. He has several books out there and uh, he's he's done quite a bit. So, uh, Ron and Sano, we're getting his uh, his take on what he thinks is going on in the markets. I'm excited. Yeah, no. He's-
3: I'm going to be a little starstruck. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, no, you know, he was on our show
2: years ago and uh, it's just good to have him back.
3: Uh- anyway. I just see him on I just see him all the I, we time you see, see him, him a lot. on t v all the time
2: he was a lot more when he had his uh power lunch of which yeah. Herrera. I think that's what it was years ago but uh you know he's not obviously uh on a segment every day but he's on quite a bit yeah he's on quite a bit so anyway let's talk about what the markets did yesterday because we have no idea because it is about twelve oh seven pm here in Phoenix Scottsdale uh but yesterday the Dow Jones you know it started out okay we've had it was it was toying with being positive but ended up closing down 107 points at 34,888 the S&P 500 down 15 at 4369 and the Nasdaq was down 55 at 14,677 and this is coming off of a an okay week. You know, last week was not anything spectacular, but it did manage to to close in a positive where the Dow was up a quarter of a percent, uh, the S&P 500 about 4 tenths of a percent. The NASDAQ was up four tenths of a percent, but the Russell again last week did not perform very well at all. And uh, we're starting to see that here. We're starting to see that rotation where, it, you know, growth was coming back. You know, it really started out the year as hey, the value trade was there. We saw uh, the banks, we saw the energy stocks, materials doing really well while technology lagged. Then we saw technology starting to catch back up. And I think, you know, Ron is even going to discuss this, that we're now getting pretty close where value and growth, they're both kind of participating. And year to date, the markets, the S&P is up over 16% year to date. And that's nothing to sneeze at. That's
3: a strong six months, man. Yeah, we'll take that
2: anytime. For sure. Now, what I didn't like last week, the advanced decline line, the breadth of the market was not very good. We had... 1,400, even though we were up last week, there were 1,488 advancing issues on the NYSE versus 1,900 declining. We hadn't seen that kind of breath in quite a while. Uh, new highs, new lows, 380 new highs, 90 new lows. That probably doubled from the week previous, and we started to see some bears creeping in. 40.2% bulls and 24.5% bears in the uh, AAI bull-bear index. Uh, the strong sectors last week were real estate, consumer discretionary utilities. The weak sectors, energy, financials, and communications services. So, anyway, let's talk about uh, this week and its earnings. It's all about earnings now because I-, I love earnings season, by Modern the way. Earnings season, is here. Like,
4: I feel like we blinked. and I know. And now it's back.
2: I know. It, well, it just, well, that's every three months. I, yep. I love earnings season because it's just exciting because you never know exactly. What's going to happen? You think that this company may do really well. I mean, you have the feeling that, yes, you think, and it's acting, and then it surprises you, hence the uh, earnings surprises. But what's interesting about what we're going to see, and we saw earnings already at a, at a Goldman Sachs and a J.P. Morgan.
4: Monster. What,
2: incredible. <laughs> I mean, how can analysts be so wrong? Remember, earnings estimates are prepared by analysts. Analysts give you a consensus estimate. And when you look at it, and we'll talk, uh, you know, go – Goldman Sachs, because Justin, that's what surprised you. You said, Well, okay, I, how could you be so wrong?
3: It just took me by complete surprise. It wasn't like they, 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 it's not like the analysts were off by a dollar or two dollars per share. Right. Right. It, it was even wider than that. And we'll talk about it later in the show.
2: Well, I mean, we can
3: even get into it now because
2: Goldman Sachs had reported earnings of $15.02 per share. The estimate was $10.24. I love this. Yeah. So a 30% beat. Uh, Revenues 15.39 versus an estimate of 12.17 billion. And of course, they really have been a benefactor of the IPO market because in 2021, so far, there's been a record-breaking $135 billion in initial public offerings, uh, far surpassing the five-year average of $53 billion. So um, on the news, Goldman Sachs was down. It wasn't down that much. It was down a percent down 390 at $376, a stock we did buy. I do like GS, and we bought a uh, a few financial stocks over the last couple of days, and I do like them. I think they're going to participate. And, and JP Morgan's another one we did uh, buy, and we do own. JP Morgan came out with earnings that beat expectations by a, a, also a good amount. They came in 378 a share, expectation 321 a share, revenues $31.4 billion, expectation $29.9 billion. They also benefited from what the industry did last year, which banks set aside tens of billions of dollars in loan loss reserves. But you know what? The borrowers, uh, they held up much better than expectations. So it looks like J.P. Morgan benefited to the tune of about $2.3 billion on that. But, uh, you know, when you look at that, the loan loss reserves – Yes, I understand that the Fed made them do that because you have to be concerned. Hey, a lot of job loss. I mean, literally, we are at 30% unemployment. You had to be. But there was also policy taking place with the CARES Act and things like that that, A, they were getting stimulus money, and, B, you weren't getting evicted and you weren't getting foreclosed on.
4: And the Fed is propping up the, the bond market by buying mortgages.
2: Right. So... You know, it wasn't going to happen. I think, if anything, it'll start to happen when all these the
4: moratorium is the moratorium is
2: lifted. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but I think it's going to happen fairly soon.
4: It's either the end of this month or
2: they keep extending September. It. They keep extending it. Now, there's a lot of earnings coming out for the rest of the week. And one thing about earnings is that the the expectation is that earnings per share will be up sixty five percent over last year. That's keep the in expectation. Mind
4: this is in comparison to last year, last year when the economy was ground to a halt. Right.
2: We were talking about this in our pre-show meeting. Uh, I mean, when you look at it, probably Q2 and 3 and 4, Carnival probably had zero. When I say zero, I'm, I'm being facetious.
4: Maybe they sold a souvenir mug, Yeah, but that's they, about
2: it. They went on their website and bought sold somebody with some T-shirts or something. But literally, Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, they're one of those few companies that really did zero I mean, Disney at least had ESPN, Disney had Plus, streaming. And right. the theme parks did open up at a 25% capacity. They have merchandise, they have a lot of things. Hotels, yes, a business traveler was, was non existent, but they still had some business coming in. So earnings per share is expected to be 65% above what it was last year. But the whisper number is so the whisper
0: number, the whisper,
2: is that we're supposed to be 80% earnings growth year over year.
4: So can we continue at this pace?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Cannot. Right, and that that leads me to, to next year. It, it could lead some trouble next year. I think that's something that Ron is going to talk about. But you know, we are seeing so far companies beating by twenty percent expectations. So, like you said, a, a big number. Goldman yeah. Sachs beat by over thirty percent. The average is about twenty percent beat.
3: That still, I'm just, you know, the sheer, the dollar figure, they beat by five bucks a share. Yeah, it's incredible. That's pretty astonishing. And as many
2: shares as standing in exactly. Goldman Sachs. Uh, by the way, we uh, are going to answer some questions, and we do have some questions. If you have questions, all you have to do is email feedback at stockdr.com. That's feedback at stockdr.com, or do even better than that and call the office and ask your question and we can if you have uh, questions about your portfolio you need some help with an analysis or financial plan or anything like that because we are fee-based asset managers you can call the office 888-855-2855 that's 888-855-2855 which brings me to our first question Josh from Scottsdale asks as earning season starts is there anything you do differently to the portfolio in preparation do you play stops or do you buy after companies do their uh, execute their report? That's a great question, Josh. And we really don't do a lot different because we take a position that we're long-term holders. But what you always have to do is if you own individual stocks, which I, you, you may be asking that. I mean, if you own mutual funds, it's different. If you own ETFs, it's a little bit different, but if you own individual stocks, you're taking single stock risk. So you have to be concerned about each quarterly earnings report. So, my suggestion is, and this is what we do: we watch the companies as they approach their earnings announcement date. We see how they're trading. We see if volume's picking up and stocks are getting clipped. So, if we're seeing it drop significantly on really heavy volume, that may tell you that something is not going to be good when they report. And you start seeing, hey, they look like they may be guiding lower. They may uh, pre-announce things like that could happen. But again, if it's a stock that you're okay with having one bad quarter and Depending on what they say, you may want to say, you know what, I don't want to hold another quarter or so. So I really, because I can't tell you how many times, wow, the stock's not acting well pre-earnings, and all of a sudden they come out and knock the cover off the ball.
3: Right, or or the flip side of that is that they will have really great numbers and issue soft guidance going forward. Exactly. There's just so many curveballs that could could come out of nowhere.
2: And and I would only play stops in if you are not available to look at your stocks on a daily basis Then I put stops in to protect it But you know really these days Everybody has a cell phone Everybody has those apps They know where you're You know where your stocks are trading at And you can kind of execute that trade With a touch of a button On your cell phone We come back With the Stock Doctor's Prescription Our special guest Ron and From CNBC Don't go anywhere We're coming right back
1: Are you losing sleep over recent market volatility affecting your hard-earned retirement savings? Let's face it, if you're at or near retirement, you can't afford to lose 40% of your nest egg like so many did in 2008. On one hand, you want safety and guarantee of principle. On the other hand, most people prefer the potential of higher growth by being linked to the market. Now you can have both. principal protection during market downturns and desirable market-linked growth during upturns. When the market goes up, you go up with it and your gains are locked in. And when the market goes back down, you're guaranteed not to lose. It's that simple. If you like the idea of avoiding market risk but earning more than a CD, call Siler Wealth Management at 407-831-8002. We'll keep it simple. We'll teach you time-tested, proven strategies to help grow your income and keep your principles safe for retirement. To get started, call Siler Wealth Management at 407-831-8002 and listen to Money Radio Wednesdays at noon for the Stock Doctor's Prescription Show.
0: Tune in to the Natural Grocer Radio Show every Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon here on Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM. We will be discussing all aspects of natural healing, explore everything from which supplements can keep you at your best, to foods that help you decrease stress and increase productivity. Past guests have included the wild foods lady, Linda Runyon, Dr. Earl Mendel, and Dr. Wayne Dyer. Find out more at naturalgrocerradio.com. The Natural Grocer Radio Show, Saturday 11 till noon on Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM. Health is your greatest wealth.
2: Hey, everybody, we're back, and you are listening to The Stock Doctor's Prescription. I am Lee Siler, also known as The Stock Doctor. And thanks for joining us on Money Radio, KFNN, 1510 AM and 105.3 FM here in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area. Also, our podcast. You'll be able to hear this and replay it as much as you want where podcasts are listened to. Nikki, you help us out with that.
4: Wherever you prefer. So there is Spotify. You have Apple. We have Anchor. Uh, we are also on the podcast app.
2: YouTube. Okay. Wave YouTube channel, all kinds of stuff.
4: Yeah.
2: Hey, it is time because you know, this, uh, this gentleman was on our radio show many, many years ago. And I wanted to bring it back because first of all, every time I see him on TV, he's got great information. I read his, his stuff on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook and we've known each other for a long time, uh, from CNBC, Mr. Ron and Sana. Ron, how are you? I'm doing fine. Lee. How you doing? Good to see you and good to hear from you again. Well, and, um, by the way, I know that you, uh, you are also a senior advisor at Schroeder North America, and you're a senior analyst at CNBC. And um, i tell you what, you have some great information. And I wanted to ask you, because we talked about this earlier, the recent drop in rates, was that, was that a surprise to you when you saw all of a sudden the 10-year got down below 130
5: yeah, I think the speed with which rates fell um was kind of surprising. And and the fact that they got as low as they did about one and a quarter percent last week uh, was was, you know, a little, I would say, mildly concerning. And, and that probably had to do with several different things, not the least of which was this Delta variant scare around the world that threatens to slow growth in some countries and then some states in the U.S. that are under-vaccinated. And, and I think that's true elsewhere in the world as well. And you had a couple other factors. I mean, commodity prices peaked in the middle of May. Um, and we've seen really strong demand for U.S. treasuries from foreign investors and from pension funds who have seen their equity exposures go up just by virtue of the market rallying. So they tend to offset that exposure by buying bonds. So we had multiple reasons why it happened. It just all happened pretty quickly. And I think uh, that, that took everybody by surprise. I also think that maybe Peak inflation is behind us, so that scare that we had earlier in the year that took yields to one point eight percent may well be
2: over yeah, I read that on your in your column. You said that you believe that inflation peaked on may seventeenth
5: well, commodity price inflation seems to have i mean if you look at lumber for in particular, which everybody was you know uh, quite up in arms about, we got to six hundred and sixteen hundred and seventy dollars per thousand board feet. On May 7th, it's now below $700. It's down 60%. So that's a huge crash in the lumber market. We've seen agricultural commodities fall. Copper has fallen rather notably as well, very economically sensitive as it is. And, and then you look at inflation break-evens. They also peaked a couple months ago. It's a bond market measure of inflation expectations, both 5- and 10-year break-evens. Um, have fallen rather precipitously. So, you know, market based indicators are telling a different story than uh, you're getting consistently from those who fear that inflation will accelerate and remain quite sticky.
2: So today's five point four percent CPI number that probably didn't surprise you, right?
5: No. And, you know, it was now clearly on a month over month basis, it was double what was expected. But once again, the components that drove consumer prices as, as as high as they were used car prices uh, and, and a couple other areas where we're seeing you know shortages of materials whether it's you know computer chips or other things. And obviously the prices in, in the leisure and hospitality world on a relative basis compared to last year are higher than they were since the entire economy was shut down. So it's, this is something economists call the base effect. The level is so low last year that we're going to see a big spike on a year-over-year basis. I, I, I quoted Green Day earlier on Twitter saying, you know, wake me up when September ends because I think <laughs> that's when we will have worked through some of this stuff.
2: It just blows me away that a third of the inflation it could be attributed to new and used car markets. That that, that yeah. just blows me away.
5: It, well, you know, it's the way the weight they weight specific items in the calculation for the CPI, the consumer price index. And it it's not always a good read. This is one of the reasons why the Fed Looks at other measures of, inflace, of inflation, the uh, personal consump- consumption expenditure deflator or PCE deflator, as it's more commonly called, included both in the personal income and spending data and then also in the GDP data that we get quarterly. Those numbers you know, are, are certainly up from where they were, but they tend to, to smooth out some of these monthly bumps that we get in the CPI.
2: Well you know we 've been doing this a long time i know you 've been thirty plus years and i 've heard this yeah. term over the years many many times and, and my thirty three years every time I hear it 's different this time, I always know it 's never different this time and you wrote something about day trading, and I remember back in the late 90s everybody wanted to be a tra- day trader they even had these offices you could go downtown and go do day trade on a computer, which was a big thing yep. because they didn 't have com- not everybody had a computer and and you said and you wrote something that it There is a danger out there in day trading right now. What did you mean by that?
5: Well, look, I mean, there are a lot of inexperienced people, particularly younger people, you know, who have been uh, attracted instead of computers to apps like, let's say, Robinhood, which allows you to trade uh, presumably freely. Although there's a cost associated with the trading, uh, even though they say zero commission. Um, And and they can do it without really thinking. You just move your money from the bank account to your Robinhood account. And take your stimulus check that you received or several of them over the last year and a half and, and start buying stocks. And there are people who have advocated that, like Dave Portnoy at Barstool, with whom I had a uh, semi long running Twitter war last year over his discussion about how every individual can make money in the stock market. I remember that. I, know, I know some of the biggest billionaires on the planet who engage in this particular profession, and it's not easy for them. And it's, it's, it's certainly easy for everybody when the market's just going up, which was the case from 1995 to 1999. And we're going through a semi-similar period today. And sure, it's easy to make money or it's easy to jam somebody who's short a stock, which I think is largely driven by professionals, not individuals. Well, the, the interesting individuals,
2: interesting yeah. you mention that because I wanted to ask about the meme stocks. And you think that the AMC, the GameStop, that wasn't just retail investors out there. That You think those were pros that were doing the damage.
5: I think there are a lot of pros who are disguised on the the Wall Street Bets subreddit site, and I think there are others who are on message boards who pretend to be individual investors, and they're actually very sophisticated, and they know where Melvin Capital, you know, is set up in a particular stock, like let's say you know GameStop, and I think they start the ball rolling, and then you've got you know somewhere between thirteen and nineteen million customers on Robinhood over the last year who have joined and signed up. Uh, that have additional firepower to to add to those trades. And so they got the retail community piling on and they blew these guys out of their positions. And so I think it's a combination of both savvy pros who are pretending to be something they're not and and less sophisticated individuals who are following the trend, which in the short run will make them money. I just fear that in the long run they're going to get burned just as they did in 1999 and early 2000.
2: But, Ron, it's different this time. AMC is (laughs) worth 60 bucks. Come on. It's worth 60 bucks, isn't it?
5: Well, whatever it is, what, 24, 25 billion dollar market cap. And, and, you know, you saw the same thing with AMC, which, uh, in fact, GameStop has a bigger market cap than that. AMC. Right. I think is
2: AMC's 19 billion that. now.
5: Yeah. Right. And look, I mean, w- w- I happen to think that theaters are going to do better than most people think, because I think most of us are dying to get out of the house. We, we're not going to sit here and watch movies at home all the time. People I like think the
2: experience.
5: Yeah. And, and, and look, I'm a, I'm a movie freak myself. So, you know, I, I look for, I've already been to one film and I'm looking forward to getting back uh, on a fairly regular basis. It's something my wife and I like to do. And I think a lot of people do. And in fact, uh, was it PWC put out a report today suggesting that by 2024, uh, box office receipts at theaters will surpass their 2019 peak. So, you know, there's some repair work to do and people have to get comfortable and we have to get the whole country vaccinated, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Streaming and movie theater attendance are going to grow in tandem. So mm. I, you know,
2: I don't disagree with but you, but I don't I,
5: think AMC's wor- worth that much.
2: I, but I think they may their revenue may not be increased just because of attendance. So they're going to be offering uh, liquor and better food and things like that just to raise those prices.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, listen, they've done this in, in in ballparks as well, right? Yes. I mean, you know, the, the food is if you go to Yankee Stadium. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's prohibitively expensive to go now, but. The experience um, is is um, far more, and I hate to put it this way, far more a white collar experience for many than it is uh, like the old days, a kind of a regular average American experience. Right. Because you're not just buying hot dogs and peanuts. You know they've got your truffle fries and your lobster rolls and all the rest of that nonsense. And it kind of it kind of messes with the game a little bit and the experience. But yeah, they're pulling in a lot more money with higher
2: margin product. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about cryptocurrency because we get that question all the time. And, you know, the between Bitcoin and, of course, the, you know, London, the Metropolitan Police in London just sieged $249 million and crypto wouldn't tell us which one it was. Wh- what's your thought? Is this uh, we first of all, you agree it's not a currency. It may be an asset, but who knows?
5: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the IRS itself has ruled that it's property. So in the U.S., you know, trading cryptocurrency is a taxable event, either for capital gains or capital losses. I I don't know if you create 21 million bitcoins uh, that that that, however you subdivide that into multiple Satoshis or whatever the hell they say that you're going to get some currency that can be used for global transactions on a consistent basis. It's going to be very hard to supplant the dollar as the reserve currency of the world and central banks starting in China and making uh, their way over here. Central banks are going to ultimately issue digital sovereign currencies like the dollar, the yuan, the yen, the euro. And, And I think that'll obviate the need for crypto. Now, blockchain, the underlying technology on which crypto trades and is transacted, I think is potentially revolutionary for finance and financial transactions yeah. but i think they're really in many ways separate items
2: hey ron can you hold uh, i'm gonna hold you over one more uh segment sure. if you don't mind all right fantastic okay. we're talking ron and sana from cnbc you're listening to stock doctor's prescription don't go anywhere we're coming right back
0: Being in control of your money provides freedom. Learn how to make it, spend it, and invest it. We're Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM. We're Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM and at MoneyRadio1510.com.
2: Hey everybody, we're back. You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription and I have uh, Ron Insana from CNBC, and he was just giving us our take, uh, his take, on uh, cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, we, we are a believer in blockchain. I know, Ron, you're saying that, that, that they have something there. But it's just craziness how you can, in a meme, you know, the Dogecoin craze, and uh, where it went to 72 cents and, you know, the Elon Musk thing. I mean, that, that's just crazy. I, I, I joke all the time. I say that Elon Musk must have a Venmo account with the SEC.
5: Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because uh, some of the stuff that he does, uh, although it's hard to make this allegation seriously, it feels occasionally like it's a pump and dump operation. And so, you know, I, I think there have been people wary of his participation in cryptocurrencies. Look, the guy, the guy, no doubt, is a genius. I mean, if you look at what he has done, I mean, he has created the Tesla. He's got a SpaceX business that is quite intriguing and is quite successful. And, you know, prior to that was PayPal. So I think, you know, look, the the guy's no dummy, but having said that, you know, in a weird way, when it comes to this other stuff, he's kind of got a screw loose because he's playing with the audience <laughs> and his viewership and his Twitter followers in ways that, you know, I think are inappropriate.
2: I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm just going to ask you a few more questions. I, I have sure. to just get your take. Look, we've had a pretty good year thus far, SP up 16%. Yeah. I mean, we take that in a full year. You know, we're halfway through. Yeah. Uh, do you think, I mean, obviously corrections happen. It, it, we're going to have one, just don't know when. Do you think we'll end the year up significantly higher than here or is it maybe, hey, we'll pull back and just end up right around where we are now?
5: I mean, I think given how much we we're up last year, if we if we ended where we are right now, it'd be great. I, I think it's all dependent on whether or not uh, the Fed indicates and begins to change, indicates that it will and then begins to change policy. So tomorrow, uh, Jay Powell or Wednesday, I should say, Jay Powell is going to be on uh Capitol Hill uh, testifying in his semiannual economic report to to Congress. If we start hearing from him in particular, uh, or Richard Clarida, who's the vice chair, that the Fed is moving towards, you know, slowing down its mortgage bond purchases, then its treasury bond purchases, the market will have its may have a taper tantrum. And then the real a real bear market doesn't come until the Fed literally starts to tighten credit conditions by raising interest rates. So right now. Interest rates are negative uh, in in real terms, right. and so we're a long ways from having tight conditions. We are not that we not, may not be that far away from a change in policy, but you know, I, look, I think the market probably drifts higher with a correction somewhere between now and the end of the year.
2: All right, that, that sounds fair enough. And last question: Where do you um, where do you like the long term money? Maybe either disruptive or somewhere you feel pretty good about putting money in a growth segment going forward next couple of years. Yeah, I'm. Like,
5: I'm- I'm not a disruptive freak because I, I, I do think you have to have a stomach for volatility with some, some of that stuff. And, and from my perspective, I'm not always able to identify. Uh, and Warren Buffett said this during the tech you know, bubble that he can't identify winners and losers and predict it with any degree of accuracy. Right. I think for individuals, you know, having a, a hub and spoke type portfolio where, you know, you're more tilted towards index funds, broad index funds, and then – if it's something you know about in technology, healthcare technology, educational technology, you've seen some of these stocks do extraordinarily well over the last year. Um, that that's where you can kind of pepper your portfolio with, with some outside bets and outside bets, pardon me. And then if you have Vegas money, you can really screw around with, you know, longevity science, sure. with, um, telemedicine or, or what have you that, that are real growth opportunities in the future. Um, and, and, and do it that way. But I, I think for the average individual, you know, Barring the wherewithal to stomach, you know, volatility and then also have enough money to to deal with it. Um, I I think, you know, talking to an advisor and putting together a relatively safe portfolio, particularly for retirement and then anything else, you kind of do what you want and do what you know. The way Peter Lynch used to say, if if there's a company you love because you know it inside now, you buy the stock.
2: Folks, we've been talking to Ron and Sana, senior analyst at CNBC, also senior advisor at Schroeder, North American. Ron, I'd love to have you back on the show again. You've been awesome.
5: Anytime. Thanks for having me. Really all right, buddy. It. Take
2: care. Have a great you day. Too. You
5: too. That
2: was great. Yeah. He is hey, out really Yes. So no, you know what? He is a smart guy. No mm-hmm. doubt about that. He's been doing it for a long time. And he's seen it all. I mean, really, there, there's something to be said about seeing it all. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot. I mean, most all. You know, we've seen bear markets. We've seen almost depressions. We've seen it all. We've seen a lot. I mean, think about
4: pandemics. Yeah,
2: housing depression. Yep. I mean, who actually ever thinks about seeing something like that?
3: I almost feel like all those stories I heard about these, you know, these crazy events sort of popped up again, but in a compressed fashion. I saw them all in a short amount of time, and then I realized right. that I actually am just getting old.
2: Right.
4: I'm so sick of hearing the, the once-in-a-lifetime event. I mean, yeah. don't tell me that.
2: Yeah, You know what? I'm glad that Ron did not mention transitory. Yeah.
4: He was sticky. I was like, that's excellent.
2: Yes, he was He was great. He was great. Um, and, and by the way, we have a millennial moment coming up. We normally do in the third segment, but we're going to push that to the fourth segment because we, uh, we, we held uh, Ron over for a little bit. But I want to talk well about worth it. something that, I mean, history was made this past weekend when Sir Richard Branson, Made, uh, made it as the first billionaire to travel in space. It was the uh, long-anticipated VSS Unity travel to space, and they spent a few minutes in zero gravity, all for a keen price of about, you could do this too, for $250,000.
4: Hard pass.
3: quarter million dollars to be weightless for a few minutes? I,
4: I can do that at Mission Space. <laughs> I think
3: I'm just going to hold on to my money.
2: Yeah, um, Virgin Galactic Holdings, which is, of course, the uh, the company's uh, ticker symbol, S P C E great ticker, great ticker, had a big run from May. I mean, the stock was trading 16 bucks in May and it got to over 57 a few weeks ago. And now it's settling down now it's been getting hit lately. And and it's one of those scenarios, you know, buy at the funeral, sell at the wedding. They I could have told you that it was going to go just like when uh, Ron talked, you know, he Elon went on. Saturday Night Mm -hmm. Live. That's when Doge peaked that Friday before it it tanked afterwards. This, you know, it ran up in anticipation of a historic space. The final frontier. Come on. It was I mean, I I totally get it It was a big deal. And, you know, but the, the stock, I know a lot of people were on this one and they liked it and they were chasing it. The problem is it was just at 57 a couple of weeks ago. Now it's 37. That's quite a hit. On, on this type of company that has no earnings, no revenues. I mean, they, they yeah, don't have any.
3: And, you know, it's now to the point where what's going to happen next? Right. What's going to happen next? He he just did it. He did it. Everybody is done. So where are we headed? My question is, how do you
2: think uh – well, Bezos, of course, is doing it later this month.
4: Bezos is so salty over this.
2: You think he
0: is?
4: Yes. Have you guys seen the petition I of people f- signing to uh, not let him come back to Earth after he <laughs> leaves and goes to space? It has 155,000 signatures on it.
3: That's you hilarious. Know, I, I wouldn't do that to space. Yeah.
4: If you want to go colonize Mars, have at it.
2: Yeah. Now, and, and Musk is probably a little ticked off about no, it, soon, I, right?
4: I think he's an endorser. He actually bought a ticket to space on Virgin Galactic. He's going to take a ride with old rich.
2: So I, look, I know a lot of people ask about the stock, the Virgin Galactic Holdings. I wouldn't own it right here. I think that it needs to probably fall back a little further. You know, come back the, down to earth. The, come back down to earth. Great. Um, the 50 day moving average somewhere around that 32, 33. That's probably where it's going, I would think. But, um, you know, who knows? But the markets, it got a little bit. The markets are a little salty today. You know, later in the day. So uh, yesterday, excuse me. And um, you know, I think earnings are really going to drive this this market. And we're you know we're gonna we're gonna live and die by earnings. And they have to be these big beats. I mean, well, even, you know, they so have to
4: far be. so good. And even still in Q one, we saw big beats. The stock was down that day. Usually, yeah. So it's going to be a finicky market.
2: When we come back, we're going to have the millennial moment. We're also going to talk about uh, CNBC did their poll of the top states for business. And um, but before they do, do that, I want to just get into we had a listener question. And oh, you know what? Should I do the listener question after you do a yeah. millennial moment?
4: Yeah, we can lead into it if you want. OK,
2: we and we. you know what? I'll get the question asked now.
4: Do a cliffhanger.
2: Jeff from Orlando asks, I'm 55 years old and concerned about my taxes going up in the future. You must be talking about administration, wanting to change things, uh, capital gains, etc. Should I convert my traditional IRA into a Roth to save that? Money and I assume he means the tax money. So as we know folks, a Roth IRA is tax free. So any money you put in there, and there are limits and there's there's uh, income limits and there's you can only put six thousand in if you're under a certain amount of income or if you're fifty years old or over, you can put seven thousand dollars in annually. That money will grow tax free. And that money is liquid to you if you let it season for five years within that account. And if you pull it out after fifty nine and a half, it's total tax free.
3: Don't owe anybody anything on that right. growth. If
2: you pull out prior, Pretty. if you held it for five years and pull out prior to fifty nine and a half, you are going to have to pay taxes on the gains. But you pull your investment out, your initial your initial investment out. So, one thing about Roth IRAs is that you can roll a traditional IRA and convert it into a Roth IRA.
4: What's that called again, Lee?
2: That's called a Roth conversion. Thank you. Not a back-to-back. <clears throat> All right, a raw conversion.
3: Yeah, you're going to pay the conversion price, though.
2: So what we're going to do, and I know we're going to actually answer this question after Nikki does her millennial moment. Does that sound fair enough to you guys? Stick around. All right. You are listening to The Stock Doctor's Prescription. I'm Lee Seiler, also known as The Stock Doctor. I have Justin Kenny and Nikki Ward in the house. We ask you guys to stick around. Don't go anywhere because we are coming right back.
6: Here is a quick list of things that you do not need in a financial advisor. One, they do not need to be in the tallest building in town. Two, they do not need to have a one-size-fits-all program. And three, they do not need to have a zombie apocalypse survival plan. Here are a few things that you do need in a financial advisor. One, a firm that takes their fiduciary responsibility to heart. Your success is their success. Two, custom built portfolios, not cookie cutter. And three, the ability to use stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and exchange traded funds to make the right combination of security and investments for each client. Let the stock doctor and his team give you a free portfolio checkup. Call at 1 888 That's 1 888 855 2855. Free financial review, no obligation for all clients. Except for zombies. Zombies are on their own. I'm a Million Dollar Bill Keevan, and I wrote a book. It's a collection of 43 essays about how to learn the lessons in the stock market. It's called Drop Dead and Other Words of Wisdom. Now, my ex-wife gave me that advice, drop dead, and it meant something, and I don't think it was nice. What it means to an investor, though, is that you should absolutely have a drop dead price to sell before you enter into a trade, and that is is good advice drop dead in other words of wisdom is still available in print at amazon.com and a variety of other booksellers online
3: everybody mark asher back to tell you about my friends at valley medical weight loss i love this company i've used them i have friends have used them a ton of weight has been lost in a quick amount of time, and the right way. That's the important part. Look, they have three Valley locations, Tempe, Glendale, and Phoenix. So one is close to you, and they've been doing this for well over a decade. And right now, you can get your first week, thirty-one ninety-five absolutely free. Just mention Money Radio or mention The Fanatic, and it is on them. 602-441-3305 or valleymedicalweightloss.com.
2: You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription. I'm the Stock Doctor, Lee Seiler. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. We appreciate it. You can also listen to us again tomorrow and Sunday right here on Money Radio, KFNN 1510 AM and 105.3 FM. We also, uh, we turn this show into a podcast. So we we ask you to subscribe to our podcast. We're doing more uh, than just this. So um, Stock Doc, it's actually it's Stock DR apostrophe S Prescription.
4: Find it wherever you're favorite podcast app is
2: all right so it is time
4: oh, i thought i was gonna get the change up to seinfeld
2: no no because i'm i'm in the middle of a lot of things going on here What? and i wanted to get you going because i want to answer the question that we had
4: jeff he's jeff. just waiting
2: yes because it is time for our megalennial miss Nikki ward with her millennial moment
4: which happens to tie into Jeff's question. Perfect so timing. How does someone manage to turn a $1,700 initial investment into a $5 billion for fortune that's tax-free?
2: We're that gonna, is incredible.
4: We're going to have to ask Peter Thiel. He is PayPal's co-founder. He used his Roth IRA to buy 1.7 million shares of PayPal in 1999. He bought the shares at a tenth of a penny three years before the company went public, and as the company grew in value, so did his Roth IRA. His initial seventeen hundred was worth three point eight million dollars a year later. All of these ROIs sound fantastic to me. He turned that into over thirty million when eBay bought out PayPal for nineteen dollars a share in two thousand and two. And since then, he has made successful investments in Facebook, Yelp, and Palantir. And by 2019, his Roth held five billion spread across 96 different holdings.
2: That is unbelievable. And, and by the way, he is the, for what I understand, the largest Roth IRA in history or known.
4: Known. And so there are approximately 21.6 million taxpayers who had Roth accounts by the end of 2018, and the average balance was $39,100.
2: Now, he's getting heat over this, which is BS. Yeah. I mean, come on. Look, you can do most anything you want to do in an IRA, a self-directed IRA or a Roth IRA. You can put private companies in there. You could. There are things if the custodian is willing to hold it. I, well, I know custodians that will hold rental houses in IRAs. Sure, so, so, sure. And the custodian mean the the actual brokerage or you know the, the the one who holds the security. Yeah, right. If they're willing to hold it, you could put. So in this case, he was smart. He put some money, and it wasn't a lot. He was under the limits, right? He said the income limits. It
3: was $1,700 initial investment. And And I think at the
4: time Clinton had it was $2,000 was the limitations on what you could contribute to a Roth or a traditional IRA. He was well within the income phase outs because this was, and this is the point that I want to stress to all the millennials out there, is that he got started at the right time. He was young. He was not making the kind of money that he would then later on make in his career. He took advantage of the fact that this is a tax-free haven right. for you to put up to $6,000 now in today's dollars annually. And the sooner that you can start putting this money away, the better off you're going to be down any, the road. Any money. Any right? money. I
2: mean, any money. But here's what some people in there, I know he they, they was getting ragged, and now, of course, Congress wants to come up with something to limit, but... The other thing that could have happened, and you know, we were talking about this, and here's the other side of the coin. You said, well, you were saying, well, he knew that PayPal, well, he didn't know PayPal was going to be great. He didn't know at the time.
4: Listen, if you're a co-founder, you better be a believer. I don't think no, he, he didn't know. He may believe,
2: but here's what could happen. Let's say it didn't successfully work out, and the company never launched, and it went to zero. He, yeah, could, he, he can't even get a write-off on that. He
4: would no. have lost $1,700. Yeah,
2: but the point is- No, well,
4: I get what you're saying. Yes. It, it wasn't like a traditional IRA where he or in a taxable account where he could have gotten the write-off.
2: Well, I think what he did was unbelievable, and it's a great story, and it I'm, is. I'm glad you brought and it to our attention. Honestly,
3: like, I'd like to know who it is exactly that's kind of throwing shade at him about something like this. He did it. He did it.
4: Every everybody single human being in Congress is he, freaking right, out he over he it. He
2: followed the law. Yeah. He didn't doctor up his tax returns to get under the limits he could put. I mean, come on.
4: No, he didn't. And the thing is, is that everybody can do this. You can do it either right. in a traditional IRA. You can contribute $6,000 if you make over a certain amount. So for an individual, it's 140000 where the phase-out for a Roth, you can no longer contribute to if you make right. that much money. For a married filing joint, it's about 200000 You can still contribute to a traditional IRA, and then you can do down the line a conversion to yes, a Roth. Can. So it's a way to get over the income limitations of a Roth IRA.
2: So what you're saying, Nick, is that uh, somebody who makes too much money, they can make a non-deductible IRA.
4: Yeah, they, they can, can make the a 000. non-deductible contribution right. to a traditional IRA, correct? And still get tax-deferred growth.
3: You're just not going
2: to yes. get a deduction. You're just deduction not going to get the six or seven thousand dollar deduction. You get tax-deferred growth. But your point is, you can convert it mm-hmm. to a tax-free vehicle.
4: Exactly. This makes me feel
3: like. Those people that gave me seventeen hundred dollars back in two thousand to start their Roth, right? Guys, I'm sorry. I am. Like I just didn't do for you what he did for himself.
2: So, so let's go back to Jeff's now question from Orlando. He's 55 years old and concerned about taxes going up. Should he convert his traditional IRA to a Roth? So uh, that's almost my demographic. I'm a little older than you, Jeff. And let me just tell you what my feeling is on this. When the when they started Roth conversions, the government allowed you to pay the taxes over four years.
3: You could convert and unconvert and then convert again if you wanted to. There yeah. were a lot of different little exactly idiosyncratic rules to to the Roth. Conversion. But the
2: one, the really the great point was though, if you had a hundred thousand dollars, you want to put it to a Roth. Let's just say your taxes on that were twenty five grand. Mm-hmm. They let you pay a quarter of that each year for the next four years. Now it's not like that. You got to pay it all, all next up, year, baby. Yep. You owe you owe April fifteenth that money. So, me, a couple of things that can happen. You could increase your income,
4: right? You could be pushed up to another bracket,
2: another another level. Yep. So that's what you got to be careful of. And secondly, you you got to pay all those taxes the next year. And we because we've done a couple of Roth conversions lately. I mean, inquiries of Roth conversion, and we
4: ran it through our
2: our software, right? And the software said, especially we have to ask the question: Are you going to take the money out of this account to pay the taxes? Yep, that makes a difference too. Sure. So if you're going to have $100,000 conversion, you're going to pull twenty five. Now you're starting at $75,000 tax free How long does it get you, take you to get back up to $100,000? Right. So there's a lot of nuances there and a lot of questions. So
4: And this all could be on a what if because we don't know what's going to happen with taxes in the future.
3: We don't know. Not to mention the fact that you don't really know what the market's going to do in the future either. And that's why they allowed people to convert and then unconvert and reconvert later because if you right. do it and the market drops, you think to yourself – Oh, now I'm overpaying because right. I did it. And then the market lost 15%. Here's
2: the way I look at it. I never want to pay the IRS more than I have to. That's me. And we don't know. I know this This is what I know. If I convert my IRA today, I know that April 15th I'm going to owe this money. Yeah. What I don't know is if taxes are going up next year.
3: What's your bracket going to be? Don't know. Because this could skip you.
2: Yes. Uncomfortably so, higher. So I, I, me personally, I'm not a fan at 55 years old converting a Roth. I'm just not a fan of that. Maybe at 40 if it's a small amount and you don't have to do the whole account by the way. Right. Yeah, no, you can partial. You can do partial, but but I we'd have to but I'd let the numbers
4: dictate the decision.
2: Exactly. So Nikki does this in our office. So if you have a question about a Roth conversion and see if it makes sense for you, call the office 888-855-2855. That's 888-855-2855. Ask for Nikki Ward.
4: And we'll see what would we'll be advantages for you? We'll
2: run the numbers. Hey, I wanted to go real quick. We don't have a lot of time left, but CNBC did a top state for business uh, survey, and it was based on a number of elements, the cost of doing business, infrastructure, quality of life, workforce, economy, business friendliness, access to capital, tech and innovation, education, cost of living. And the number one state, ranked number one, they do. All, they put a number in all these, and they add them together and average it out. The state of Virginia, hmm. number one. When I saw it come out this morning, I was looking. They said, "Hey, coming out in the next ten minutes." The uh, the number one state. I thought it was going to be North Carolina. I truly did. North Carolina, by the way, is number two because I know that they're very tech savvy. They're big technology. They're Research Triangle. Raleigh's a big, uh, you know, Charlotte's a big banking mecca.
3: Yeah, you, Asheville's got a lot of what medical. Uh, there's huge expansion that it, way. Well,
2: in that field, everything is over there, and that's it's huge. So, I would
3: have thought Texas, but
2: now number three though, shocker. Was that a shocker?
3: Hmm. Utah. Yeah. Did not see that coming.
2: No, did not. And they said that the economy in Utah is so good, it barely skipped the beat during COVID. So you have Virginia, number one, North Carolina, number two, Utah, number three, fourth place. I expect them to be a little higher, but Same. the state of Texas, America's top workforce is what they are. Yeah. in the state of Texas, number five, no surprise either, is the Tennessee, the state of Tennessee. They have the nation's second best economy behind Idaho.
3: Hmm. Hudo, yeah, Idaho. Believe
2: Wouldn't it or have expected not, expected
3: it. Tennessee. Uh, that did surprise me. You said you weren't surprised. It surprised me. I wasn't surprised yeah, overall. I was surprised maybe because of <laughs> its proximity to Kentucky. I don't know. <laughs> now the let's the the
2: five bottom states because people want to know. It's, I think I'm a little surprised too. Well, I'm not surprised. West Virginia. No, that doesn't surprise me. No. But Rhode Island, Maine, Hawaii and Alaska surprise me as the bottom five states. That really does surprise me. It doesn't surprise you Are from Rhode
4: Island. Yeah. No, Rhode Island. The infrastructure there is not the best. They are, you know, trying to replace those pipes and get the radon out of the basements, But that does not a shock. Maine was a little surprising.
3: You can stand on one border and see the other one. So small state. Longest name. Hawaii. Does Hawaii surprise you? Um, Hawaii isn't is is an anomaly in itself.
4: Just expensive.
3: You know, everything there is really expensive. I don't know. Hey, we've had a
2: great time bringing you the show this afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Ron and Sana of CNBC. You're listening to Stock Doctor's Prescription. We will catch you next week. We'll replay tomorrow and Sunday. Don't go anywhere. Stay on KFNN.
0: The place to give you more ideas for your money and the news you need that affects your world. We're Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM.